Welcome to The Pen and the Yod. Join Rabbi Michael Siegel from On Shamit Synagogue and author Jonathan Eig as they talk about this week's Torah portion of Mishpatim, the world's oldest sermon. Hi, Jonathan. Hi, Rabbi. How are you? I'm pretty good. We're recording this on uh, Martin Luther King's birthday, and I know it will go out to our friends later, but I was just wondering if you happen to know, I'm going to give you a little Martin Luther King trivia here. What was his most frequently offered sermon? Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, that's a good one. That's definitely one of his favorites. But um, his most often delivered sermon was something called the three dimensions of a complete life. And I think of it today because, um, well, you'll, you'll connect it to our Torah portion of the week, Mishpatim, but in the three dimensions of a complete life, he talks about First dimension is the is the, the length of life, which he interprets as meaning the quality of your life, loving yourself, and you can't really love others until you love yourself, and being passionate about the things in your life. And the second dimension of a complete life he talks about is the the breadth of life, and that means caring for others. And he tells the story of the Good Samaritan helping someone in need on the road to Jericho, and he warns us that you know if you if you fail to help others because you're afraid or you're worried about your own welfare, you should think not so much about what might happen to you, but what might happen to that person that you fail to help. And then when you have those two dimensions, the, the length of life and the breadth of life, you can start to think about the height of life, he says, which is reaching for God and trying to live for something that's beyond your comprehension that you can't see and lifting yourself and your whole society around you. You can listen to it on, on YouTube later, but I wondered um, if you would help us understand how that connects us to Mishpatim. Well, I think that's a, it's a great question, and it's a powerful sermon. And what I've learned over the years of being a rabbi, and I'm sure Dr. King was well aware of it, is that these ideas that we, that we struggle with in our day have been struggled with over time. And Hillel said, Im ain anili mili. If I'm not for myself, who will be for me? Kisha anila atzmo ma'ani. But if I'm only for myself, what am I? Im lo akshav. If not now, ematai. When? And it seems to me that this is sort of the um, thumbnail of Dr. King's sermon. He begins by saying, you've got to care for yourself. You know, you can't just care about other people. You have to think about your own mental health, your own economic health, etc. And then you also need to think about other people. If you're only for yourself, what are you? And he also puts a sense of urgency into it. If not now, when? You know, I don't know when Dr. King gave that sermon, but my God, this is a uh, about as relevant as relevant can be. Yeah, and he actually gave it many, many times, beginning when he was only about 20 years old. Um, and he borrowed some of it from other theologians, but it was obviously something he came back to over and over again. And I think you can see him wrestling with it in his own life as well. How do you think of yourself as a man of God, as a, as a person of faith, when you're engaged in political struggles, when you're engaged in personal struggles? You know, you have to constantly think about others, um, putting others ahead of yourself and feeling like there's something more important in the world than your own well-being. 
Right. You have to have the you have to have the well-being too. That's the that's the, the length of life, but you have to think about others. It's such a great sermon. Why do you think he had to give it multiple times? Right? <laughs> uh, right. Well, he wanted it to be heard and you know, he couldn't just post it on his uh, on his YouTube channel. I'm sure that's true, but I would also add the other reason is because people have a penchant to to only think of themselves. Yes. Or to ignore other people. And the thing that Hillel and Dr. King had in common was they were both deeply religious people. So God played a role here. And I'm quite sure that Dr. King was very familiar with the teaching of of the portion of Mishpatim, as you mentioned at the onset. And in this portion, you have this remarkable teaching. You shall not ill-treat any widow or orphan. If you do mistreat them, I will heed their outcry as soon as they cry out to me. And my anger shall blaze forth that I will put you to the sword and your own wives shall become widows and your own children shall become orphans. The fascinating part of this is not the sermon. The sermon is take care of those who are in the margins of the society and who's the most vulnerable in that society widows and children, people who have no one to protect them, people who are really left to the vicissitudes of life in the worst sense of the word. And if we don't take care of them, no one will take care of them. So the Torah is doing that. And and so that's very much a part of what King and Hill are saying. But the what we call the chiddush, the, the, the new element here is if you mistreat them, God is saying, I will heed their outcry. In other words, I'm their protector. And so God is saying, if you don't take care of them, then you will pay a price. Your society will be pay a price. And there's going to come a day of reckoning. You're going to find that your wives, your children will suffer that same fate. And that, I think, is the missing piece in this conversation. It's not just about me. It's not just about what I think. It's just about, you know, how I'm feeling today. It's about the sense that there's a God watching who cares deeply about those who are cold on a day like today or those who are hungry on a day like today and is wondering why we're not as concerned. Yeah, what's so interesting to me about that is that God is warning of the promises of punishment that, you know, you will be laid low. You will get the same treatment that the um, the people who are in need are getting. And I wonder why there's this sense of, of a threat involved. Is that, is that just a, a sign to you of how, of how important this is, how serious it is? Because God isn't just saying, you know, what, what King said is that it will be good for you, that it will lift you up, it will make you a, a holier person. Here we're, we're hearing, you better do this or else there will be punishment. I think there's two responses to that. On the psychological level, it's easy to have a moment where you feel something and maybe even give someone something on the street and then kind of pat yourself on the back and keep walking without thinking about the larger problem. And so the psychological piece is to say to people, well, you know, there's something in it for you because you're going to get punished. I think that is a big part of this. But I also think that God is telling this people, and the Israelites in particular, I gave you this land to live on. They were talking about the land of Israel. And so you're going to play by my rules. 
And my rules are you're going to see the world through my eyes. You're going to see the world through a religious person. So you're going to hear in your back of your mind at all times the conscience of God working within you. And I think that's part of this as well. You have this covenant with me, whether it's land-bound or Torah-bound, it's all the same. You are bound to me. And so you have this responsibility to open your eyes and see. And one of the really interesting aspects of Jewish history is that we have actually been really true to this commandment. Wherever you go, Jews are giving tzedakah for those people in need. This is especially true in the traditional community, but throughout Jewish history, we have a very rich history of taking care of each other. In other words, this commandment has been heard by the Israelites, and this sense that I am responsible for my brothers and sisters is very much part of this, and it stems from commandments like this. Yeah, it strikes me that maybe this connects us back to what King was saying, because God is saying, you know, nobody's looking out for these people, but God is looking out for them. And you better look out for them, too. And maybe that is a way of us reaching up toward God as humans and feeling like we are trying to be holier because we're doing what God not just tells us to do, but what God is, is doing. And that's looking out for the stranger. Yeah, I, I, I absolutely think that. I, and frankly, I think, and you would know this better, but my sense is that King really lived with that voice of God in his head. He was very much motivated and very much conscious of what God wants. Yeah, we see that over and over again, which is why when his closest advisors are telling him that it would just be more practical and more pragmatic to stick to voting rights and not talk about the war in Vietnam or stick to segregation and not talk about racism in the North, you know, King has to explain to them over and over again, don't you know that this is about something bigger for me? This is about... God, this is about my faith. It's not about what's going to help us most with fundraising or with me, help me most in the Gallup polls. People who are not religious, uh, even his closest friends, they don't understand that. It's an interesting issue that you have the Torah and it's plainly written, and yet there was a need for the prophet. The prophet was God's voice in the community. The prophet was the person who was telling you the message, giving you the hard news, reminding you of what you don't feel like hearing in the moment, in real time. Right. right? You, you, know, you can't just put the prophet up on the shelf, right, and dust the book off whenever you feel like it. Or when you go to synagogue on Saturday to think about it, the prophet is the one saying, you got to think about this every day of the week. The prophet is the voice of God in society. Abraham Joshua Heschel, who actually wrote the book, The Prophets, who knew pro about prophets on a deeper level than just about anyone who ever lived in the 20th century, referred to Dr. King as a prophet. And that's a very powerful message because he had that prophetic voice. And, and the story that you told about those who said, look, let's focus on what's politically expedient. Let's not get out of our lane here and put ourselves at risk. King is speaking not as a savvy religious uh, and political leader. He's talking like a prophet. No question about it. And I think the prophets, you know, throughout the Bible, you can tell us better, are, are people who make us uncomfortable, uh, who are often inconvenient. And that's what King was doing. And I think that's what, in some ways, um, God is telling us in this portion of the Torah that... Um, 
It's just no question. I, I'm just laughing to myself because I remember um, in the early days of spell checking and uh, writing uh, on word processors, I got a paper once I, uh, from a kid. And instead of profit, P-R-O-P-H-E-T, it was P-R-O-F-I-T. Mm. So it's kind of a funny thing to think about it. It's an interesting pun because sometimes we will think of how we can profit as opposed to the prophetic message. I think that's what this passage in the Torah. I mean, you know, how do we manage a, a city budget, right? What do we do with, with all of the uh, people in need? We've got to build roads. We've got to build other things. We've got to attract tourists. We've got to be mowing the lawns and all the other mundane things that can make the city look beautiful and plant trees all over the place. And yet, are we really giving our resources? How do we balance that? And I think sometimes you need the voice of God in the back of your head. Not sometimes. I think that's what being a religious person is, the feeling of commandment, the feeling of outrage, and not saying, well, this is the way it's always been. This is the way it always will be. So that's just the way it is. God expects more of us. And that I think that voice was with King all the time. And we all strive for that. I don't want to leave this podcast with a pie in the sky notion mm -hmm. in the sense that if you pay attention to what Hillel said, and you look at the structure of that aphorism, he says, if I am not for myself, who will be for me? And if I'm only for myself, what am I? Note that he begins with the self mm -hmm. in the same way that King began that sermon. You gotta, right. you have to take care of yourself first, right? But what are the boundaries of that? That becomes the larger question. And what are our responsibilities as a community? How do we build out from that? But it's not to be so selfless that we forget about ourselves, nor is so selfish to only think about ourselves. I think that's what it really boils down to. Yeah, that's a great reminder. We need all three dimensions and without them, you know, the, uh... It doesn't work without all three. Thank you, Jonathan. Thanks, Rabbi.